But I'd like for you to just briefly look again at Luke chapter 5, the verse that we have been using all along. Verse 10, the end of that verse, Jesus is speaking to Peter. And he tells Peter, who was a fisherman, that from now on, he said, you're going to catch men. And then we saw the other verse of scripture in Proverbs 11:30, which we spoke about last week. He that winneth souls is wise. And we examined the word wisdom and hopefully came to the conclusion that if we are serious Christian people, that if we are here for the right reasons and we're rightly motivated, then we want to hear what God says in order that we may do what he said because that's what a wise man does. And a wise man in Matthew 7 was a man who built his house upon the rock instead of the sand because he knew that that's a better way to build a house. It was the right way. So winning souls is something that we should do. That's what God wants. In fact, one of the great reasons we're on this earth and weren't taken off of this earth when we got saved is so that as citizens of heaven, being sojourners on this earth, we are to declare unto this earth salvation that God gives. That's why we're here. We are the mouthpiece that God uses. As I said in the beginning of our series on soul winners, that God uses people to save people. But in order to do that, in order to win souls to Christ, or in order to catch men, we have to know the story ourselves first. Now in catching men and winning souls, we said this last week, we do this with words, we use words. We have to share with other people, but we can't share words unless we know what the words are, and we probably won't share what God says in the word if we really don't understand it or if we have not experienced it. But we use words. We tell people things because the Bible says be ready to give an answer. That's words. And the second thing we talked about is God uses our conduct, the way we live, Again, be ready always when people ask you a reason of the hope that is within you. Why are you so sure of things? Why are you so happy? Why are you not bothered by this or by that? Why indeed? And you should be ready to give an answer. And the reason is because of the effect and the influence that Jesus has and is having on your life. That's your whole motivation. And you convey that to other people who ask you that. They watch. People know how you live. They watch you make decisions. They watch you under stress. We do as a church. We know how each other are. We know a lot about each other just in this body of people here because after a while when you're around people, you begin to put things together. You know, how well you're getting along, how well you parent your children, whether you listen, whether you practice what you've heard. Your loyalty and seen in whether you're here or you're not or whether you participate or not or and so forth. We all do things that can be seen and can be identified. And one of the things that Christians do who are going to be what we'll call soul winners is that you live in such a way that you do not dishonor Christ or his word because a wise man does what he's taught, what God teaches him whether it's being here, giving, sharing, singing, or worshiping, we do that because that's what God wants. And if I'm in tune with the Lord, I will obey him because that's what a wise man or woman will do. So we know if we're doing that. All of us do. I mean, your friends know how you are. Very few people know you better than your friends. They know what you think. They know how you talk, what's on your mind. How are you going to do things? They know whether they should be real light or not say that around you because you'll fly off the handle. We know. And there's that person occasionally that you find that's always cheerful, has a smile, a good report, has an answer that glorifies God, a good confession. Praise the Lord. I am what he says I am. Hallelujah. Every need is met. That's so unusual today, but people see that, people notice that. That's part of our testimony to this world and to each other. 
And then we talked about, thirdly, was compassion. We witness to people, we share our lives with people, and we live in a certain way because we care. Now, whether or not we've ever really shown that we care or not, we may have to deal with that. But the fact of the matter is a soul winner really does care about people's lives because if you don't witness to them, they're going to perish. If you don't bring the message of light to people who are in darkness, if you don't, chances are nobody else will. You can't say, oh, somebody will preach to them. Oh, they'll. You can't do that. God may say it's up to you. This is between me and you and you and them. And so we care. That's why we ask that simple question that can get a real good conversation going. Just a simple little question. Where will you be when you die? What will happen to you when you die? It's not a thing we talk about a lot. Nobody wants to talk about dying, but you can't avoid it. You can't rule it out of your life because every human being knows that one day you will die. But not everybody, not very many people are even sure what will happen after they die. And so it is an engaging question that you can ask a person, especially if you're not coming across as some weird, strange, Bible-thumping, lapel-grabbing Christian. But I would rather be one of those than to be somebody who never said a word about it. And, and as I've already said several times, this message, I think, in my life and in this whole faith walk has been set aside. We mention it. We don't disregard it. We just don't put much emphasis on it. And yet, as I read and have been studying this for the last few weeks, it's amazing how much, as you'll see tonight, how much biblical life is about witnessing and winning people to Christ, being a witness. It includes self-holiness of overcoming, carrying the cross, and all of that. We all have that obligation personally with the Lord to become like Jesus. But our main mission is to go into all the world and make disciples. That's the premier number one call. All these other things will be added to that, but that's our main cause. The last thing we mentioned last week is praise and worship. And we looked at in the Psalms where the Bible said he brought me up out of the miry clay, put my feet on a rock, established my going. The Bible said he put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. And many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. I'm not here to say how many people really don't praise the Lord. Multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of Christian assemblies sing songs out of a hymn book. How often that kind of praise wells up in the heart and the words they're singing really are captured and realized, I don't know. I sing hymns out of a hymn book, memorize them. Woke up this morning singing one, I can't remember what it was, but an old song I hadn't heard in years and I was going through there trying to get the right words. And I thought, where did that come from? Well, it has been in there for a long time. But you can memorize and associate by memory and by just doing it over and over. You can remember a lot of things, but I don't know that singing first, second, and fourth stanza ever to me was worship. We did it because it was in the book, not because it was a desire of the heart. But when it is a desire of the heart and it's genuine and it's real, people will notice it. And the Bible says that many will see it and shall fear and shall trust in the Lord. So this is part of who we are. This is part of what we do. Now, the question I want to ask you tonight and for the next probably couple of weeks is a simple question, but it's really profound in light of what we're here for and what we're supposed to do as Christians. When is a soul one? He that winneth souls is wise. When is a soul one? At what point can we say this soul is one to Christ? Now, the text that we read in Luke 5 and Proverbs 11 tells us that we're in this world and one of the major reasons we are left in this world is that we may try by effort to win these souls to Christ or to introduce lost people to salvation and to urge them to respond to God because it has meant so much to us, it should, when it comes out of the heart, it has meant so much to me to be a Christian. We are so joyful about the reality of eternal life, not a song and not a 
verse of scripture, but a reality, eternal life, living forever with Christ in a kingdom he has prepared for us, and it's ours. It belongs to us. And we share it from that kind of a standpoint because we want people to respond and have the same thing so they can be saved, so they can, they can have what Christ brings about. And the question is, when then is a soul one? You stop somebody on the street corner, you knock on a door, you're in a meeting somewhere, on a playground, at school, in the workplace, shopping, wherever you run into somebody and a conversation gets started. Let's say you, you ask that leading question. You go to church anywhere, and if they all say, yeah, I'm a Catholic, say, oh, good, I was a Catholic once. You ever think about death and dying? You know, you hear so much about it. You try to disarm people. You know, you hear so much about it, and people talk about it so much, you know, and people are afraid of dying, health care costs and all this, you know. You know what I think about? Maybe you do too. Uh, what happens after you die? Where do we go? I mean, what do we do? I mean, What's going to happen to us? What would happen to you if you died? That's not aggressive, is it? Or maybe it is. But the person would say, I don't know. And you would say, well, you know, if we die on the basis of what, we go to heaven. Those are two questions that everybody in this lifetime at some point must deal with. You will die. And after death, there is another life. The Bible speaks about it. You may not want to believe it. Maybe you were taught out of it. That will not make it not true. It'll be true anyway. Amen. And on the basis of what? Will God let you in heaven? If God said to you, why should I let you in heaven? What do you say? And say the person starts thinking about it. Well, I don't know. I, I, you know, I go to church and, and uh, I try to be good. Isn't that a typical answer that most people give? I go to church, I try to be good. I'm, you know, I'm not exactly an evil person, but... And so then you have to be armed with enough knowledge of Scripture to say, well, you know, Jesus himself said that, why callest thou me good? He said it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Why callest thou me good? There is none good but God. All we like sheep have gone astray. There is none righteous. No man is good. They say, well, I mean, I'm not as bad as some people. Well, have you ever sinned? Oh, I don't think I sinned that much. Well, have you ever sinned once? And you just start talking. Things you've been taught for 20 years right here. 30. We can say that now. 10 years. Five years. You've had opportunities to listen and to learn, study, find out for yourself. Things you talk to people about that most people outside of these walls and lots and lots of people in churches don't know much about. They've heard all the stories. They know all the phrases. But as far as personally being able to relate to that as an absolute yes, amen experience, most of them are still hoping that by being religious, being good church members, they'll go to heaven. And so... Let's say you get somebody to pray. Somebody says, well, I'd like to be saved. So you pray with them. And then you get on an airplane, you fly to some other place, and you, and you leave them there. Or you're in, like one time years ago up in Indianapolis on a street corner with a guy. I went across the street at a convention and saw a guy stand over there. And went over there started witnessing to him. and got talking to him about the Lord. Asked him if he'd like to be saved. And he said, where? I said, right here. So we knelt down on the street corner. You know, people walk about, it didn't matter. We just prayed right there on a street corner, and he asked the Lord to save him. Then I went wherever I went. I've never seen him since. Now, was he one? He could have been, couldn't he? That could have started something. I don't have to know about it for him to be one. God sees hearts. I don't. All I do is take a message and give it to somebody and pray that they'll receive it, and I'll help them receive it if they need help. That's what we're here for to pray with them, talk to them, explain things to them, give them some light so that they can dispel the darkness about something. There are so few people who ever talk about God or salvation. 
even in churches. They just don't like to talk about it because they don't know much about it. It has never been a personal experience. There's never been this joy of being saved, born again. Never had it. So if you pray for a person, they ask the Lord to save them, and you go away, are they one? Or could they have said that and then gone back the way they were? Are they one because you raised your hand at a meeting, you were so taken by the message and you realize your awfulness before God and, oh, God, save me, or you came forward and the preacher prayed for you. Are you one? In other words, is that it? Are we done? Or are we ever done? Or do we start and we finish when we're gone? But you can't say, well, you never know when you're saved until you get to the end. That's not true either. Because the Bible said what's written in this book is written so that you can know that you're saved. 1 John 5. These things are written to those who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13. So we know that you don't have to do a lot of exploits to <laughs> prove that you're saved. I'm just asking the question, when are you really one? When is anybody one? Was I one when I got up off of my knees on June the 30th, 1968? When I got up and turned around, was I one? Well, it, it, yeah, I can look back now and say that's when it started. And what happened at that moment never left. But do people ever do what I did and never did anything later? Okay, then how do you know they're one? You prayed with them. They prayed the sinner's prayer. Were they one? I don't know. Well, how can we know? Can we tell a lost soul that these things should follow your life if you're truly saved? Or did we just get them to pray the sinner's prayer, add them to the church row, put them in a seat, assign them to a Sunday school class? We got another one. Are they one? Or are they just religious? They could have been one. I was one when I knelt on that floor and I said yes to Jesus. And I did the thinking that I did and the decisions I made there between God and I, absolutely. That's when it started. Is it possible for me today to backslide? Well, say yes. Backsliding happens all the time. One time... Paul and I prayed with a man downtown here a few years ago. This guy wept and wept and wept. But I learned later, he never showed up, never came back, because he couldn't leave his live-in girlfriend. Because he loved that more than he loved his salvation. And he was willing to give up his eternal life for his momentary time with a girl that he wasn't married to. So was he one when he cried and prayed? Was he? Now, he could have been and later changed. I don't know. I'm just asking you the question. So we don't take lightly the fact that we're just out here seeing how many decisions that we can get out of people. Just getting a decision out of somebody doesn't mean you've won them to Christ. They might have felt bad about what they did last week or what they said to somebody. And they're pained in their heart. And, oh, I want to be forgiven of that. So they prayed that prayer. But as far as trusting Christ... Living for Jesus and all of that? I don't know. Well, they go out and they do a lot of right things and they start getting busy in the church. You know, I want to I be saved. Well, the Bible said it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, that he has saved us. Remember that? It's not by works that we have done that caused God to save us. For being lost people, there was nothing we could do to save ourselves. We've all sinned. The wages of sin is death. How do I get rid of my sin? And yet the problem today in this hour in which darkness is creeping into this world, more and more in this humanistic society that we live in now, the problem a lot of people have is, well, what's sin? I don't know that I've sinned or not. What do you mean by sin? Maybe sin is your definition. 
You say, well, now in 1 John 1, it says if we say we have no sin, then we call God a liar. Well, that's your interpretation. Uh, that's not hard to interpret. All have sinned. Well, what do you mean by sin? Sin is nothing more than transgression. Simply, it's transgression against God. God says, I want you to live this way. And man says, knowing about that way, at least a little part of it, I choose not to. I'm going to be good. I'm going to be a nice guy and be, you know, generous and kind, but I, I'm not going to do it that way. And that is sin. Read the Ten Commandments. Has a man ever put anything before God? How about a girlfriend? How many men like the guy we pray with could not leave his live-in girlfriend because for whatever reason? Or a boyfriend. God wasn't worth that much. I'm not going to go that far to live forever with Christ. I want to be in charge of my own destiny while I'm on this earth. I want to be good with God, but I don't want to, I don't want to have to forsake everything that I really like when what I like is not in harmony with what God wants. You'd be surprised how many times the Bible, when the Bible speaks of the lust of the flesh, is these urges and desires that people have, they can't give them up. That's sin. That's a sin. Sin is what turns a man away from God. He only has to commit one. One sin. Like he said in Genesis, sin lies at the door. Sin's desire is for you. It's the worldly appeal to do something besides what God said. And everybody gave in to it. Everybody. Hath God said to Eve, remember that? Hath God said? And when Eve began to listen to that, then she noticed the tree was pleasant to look at. Wow. And the fruit did look good. Wow. And so in spite of what God said, she did it. That's sin. Your sins, Isaiah says, your sins are what separate you from God that he will not hear. And everybody's a sinner. There's no man in this life who ever lived except Christ who was not a sinner. There's none. No human being existed who was not sinful engaged in sin so that all of creation needs a savior and yet no man can save himself because there are no provisions in the Bible for a sinner to save himself except the one God gave. And the one God gave is on his terms. That was Jesus Christ whom he called the Lamb of God, typifying Old Testament sacrifices and substitutionary atonement and so forth. He said, here's the Lamb of God. He takes away what? The sin of the world. That's what John the Baptist said when he saw him. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. The very thing that separates me from God and keeps me from being what I ought to be is my sin, my lust, my desires, my urges, and my passions. The way I think about things and figure out things. This is what's keeping me out of heaven. And the first time I did it, there was a wall between God and I. And in his mercy... Boy, the law demanded you're, you're a sinner. Out you go, chop, 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 chop. But God in his mercy said, I'm going to make it possible for you to be saved. And you know the story. Jesus came. Jesus did everything he did for one reason, save you. He said, I have come into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. Who were they? It was us. This is the story that every Christian has got to have in your heart. You may not understand the healing thing or the deliverance thing or a lot of other things, but this is the single most important message that we should arm ourselves with. I am a Christian because of this. What? What are you talking about? And tell the story I just told in your own words as you understand it. Share it with your word. You don't have to memorize what I said or anybody else said. Share in your own words what Christ means to you and, and when it started and why it started. When God sent Jesus to this world to die and then raised him from the dead, testifying to his divinity. Then we had to realize, hey, everything he said was right. This was God in the flesh. 
Therefore, every man who will come to him, acknowledge him or believe in him and trust him, God will save them. It's that simple. I mean, it's the most simple message there is. And yet, this is the most, the most profound message on the planet. And yet, we make so light of it. We can yawn at it, ho-hum it, and go our ways with all of our problems. And yet, we're here for a reason. There's a reason you are here tonight. There's a reason you're still in this world. There's a reason that wherever you folks, whenever you got saved, however, however that happened, that was the beginning of something. God has a plan for your life. And there are people out there waiting somewhere for all of us to come. There's somebody out there waiting for everybody in here. Not a mate now to get married, but I mean out there who needs to hear the plan of salvation. God was probably especially chosen you to bring that to them. Well, maybe a man is one you say, well, he became a preacher. He became a missionary. Well, he became a great Christian worker and wrote a book on Christ. Maybe that's when he's one. Well, you know, you can do that and not be one to Christ. You could be a preacher and not be one. You can just learn how to do this. Go to school, take a lesson, learn, learn how to do what I'm doing. And you can do it better than I do it, I promise. Just learn. You don't need anything in your heart. You don't even have to be saved. Just learn how to do this. Learn to say what people like. Enjoy the joy of it all, I guess, the comfort of it. I don't know. I don't know about that. But Jesus himself said about preachers, miracle workers, who spend so much time learning to do that or try to do that. He said, I never knew you. Remember that? Matthew 7. But Lord, we've done this. We've done that. We did all these things. Jesus said, I never knew you. And the word knew has the meaning of we never had a true personal connection. We were never connected. You learned something about me and you went about your ways, doing it your way. And you left me out of the picture as far as personal relationship. You used my name. You talked about me. Jesus, I know. And you shared that. But you didn't. You didn't have a heart for me. And so we tell people this story that we want you to be one to Christ. Jesus came specifically for that reason, to deal with our sins, all those little things that we've done, all the breaking of all the commandments, 10 commandments, no other gods, no images of God. Don't take his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your parents. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. You know, and we've broken every one of those. It doesn't take you long if you just learn to memorize some things and put it in its context. You can talk to lost people, and they have to realize that they're sinners. Then you can bring forth a message. Because there are several things in the Bible that we'll call must, essential things that are required for a sinner to be one, to be one to Christ. Number one is he must or she must be born again. Oh, I know that. Well, I hope you do because that is number one. You must be born again. The word again means from above. I want everybody in our church here to be born again. I'm not taking for granted anybody is. I would assume that most of you are. I don't know. But to be born again means that you, an individual on this earth, you have been chosen to be affected by God from on high. God singles you out to give you something that there's no other way for you to get it. And he begins by coming down dealing with you, dealing with your life, and, and the things we'll cover in just a moment, turning you around and then putting inside of you divine life, the divine nature. Now, if God has truly rebirthed somebody or you have truly been born again, are you one? Yes. I'll answer that for you. You are. 
Because if God puts his life on the inside of you, you're his. Now, he loves you enough that he cares about you, that he's going to be in charge of your steps the rest of your life. You may try to go astray, and he'll let you for a moment. You'll learn something. But he has a way of bringing you back in harmony with him. He, he loves you that much. Are you with me? That he cares about you that much. We're going to learn a lot of lessons as we walk this way. We're going to find ourselves stubborn and sometimes I don't know why and forlorn and alone. And yet he's going to allow that to teach you how to trust in him. And he'll keep bringing you back in line because he that started. Are you with me? He that started a good work. What's he going to do? He's going to complete it. So when God picks you up out of the miry clay and sets your feet upon a rock, and he makes you his. Maybe I'm a good Baptist here, or rather a good Calvinist, or maybe just a good Christian. But when he picked you out and started you, he's going to keep you. Jesus said, nobody's going to pluck you out of my hands. If God picked you, you're his. And from this day on, he's going to teach you and instruct you, motivate you and inspire you, as well as chasing you and correct you because he, he ain't going to leave you alone. He's going to prepare you for heaven and to be a messenger and a vessel that is useful to him. Second Timothy 2, in a great house and so forth. And he's going to purge you and cleanse you and he's going to use you in this world. He may not use everybody, but he's going to use you. Why? Because he that started a good work, he had a plan for your life. It's not just to occupy a nice green seat in a refined cathedral. But it's to call your attention to a daily walk. Bring you together to teach you so that on a night you're really tired, you can get convicted about some things. Something you can't get out of your mind. That's God talking to you. That's one of those little things he puts in there. One of those little things that he's going to use to get you on the right path. To refine you, in other words. You're already saved. He's going to refine you. I believe in, in when, when a man is born again, he is born again. The new birth is an act of God from above that causes a person's life to become new, a changed person. You're not the same person that you used to be. He's changing me. My blessed Savior, I'm not the same person that I used to be. How can we know? Is there a way to tell that you're not the same person you once were? Is there or not? It's part of the plan. It's part of the deal. You can't say, oh, I don't have to do anything to be saved. All I had to do was just raise. No, listen, raising your hand was the beginning of a wonderful journey. God started you right there. That was his beginning of his winning ways. And somebody introduced you to the message. Maybe it was a preacher, a radio, or something you read, or your friend, your mother. Somebody told you about Jesus, and you responded. That was the beginning. That's when it started. You became a new person. You couldn't explain all of this. Something on the inside of you was different than you've ever known. And there was an excitement and a joy about the unknown. I mean, you were ignorant, dumber than a coal bucket, we used to say. But all oh, the eagerness to learn. Teach me, Lord. Here's my cup, Lord. Fill it up, Lord. And show me thy ways so that I can walk in thy truth. See, if any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. He's different than he ever was. He's got the same face. He's got the same height. He's got the same, he's got the same brain. He probably still has some of the same old mental hangups. But something on the inside is new that was never there before. There is light that has replaced darkness. It's a new inspiration. Something in there is different. And it continuously drives you into a change for the rest of your life. 
This voice, this power, this life on the inside of you never quits talking to you, never quits being after you, never quits dealing with you, never. That's one of the ways you know. You walk in the light. If you sin, he gets after you, and you turn around from your sin, and you get restored because you're bothered by everything that's not right because he doesn't know what to do good. And do it not to him and his sin. Oh, God, forgive me. We're not perfect. We know that by the mistakes we made last week or maybe today. But you've got a merciful God who can now forgive you, made it possible for you to be forgiven on the spot. If it's truly in your heart to do the second thing that is a must is repent. Repentance. What a word. Repentance. To repent simply means to turn away from sin to God. You don't know each and every sin you've ever committed so that you can individually and each remember what you've done so you can turn away from this, that, thus, and so. But you do know that sin is a result of your nature, something that was sinful something that you just gave into because it was the lust and the pleasure of your flesh. Now that you get saved, again, you got that new something on the inside of you. If you don't have it there, folks, you need to be born again. Whoever is in here, any of you, all of us, one of you, five of you out there, when God makes his abode in a man's life, a man or a woman will know it. You'll know anytime you're wrong, when you're messing up, making mistakes, thinking wrong or doing wrong, you'll know it. You may even give up for a while. I know people have done it, just gave up and went away, but couldn't, couldn't stay away. You know why they couldn't stay away? Because God didn't call them to stay away. He brings them back. And there's not a soul in this room that walking with the Lord, that it's easy. We have those lonely days in which we feel rejected or insecure. Or I don't know. Well, maybe I can't. I don't know. And God continually deals with us, never to let us go, but at the right time in your life to send the right person into your life or have the right words said to you that you go, I can do this. Yes, praise God. The only reason God would do this for any of us is one reason, because he loves us. Why would he love us? I don't know. But he does. He loves us enough to do everything the Bible said he did. And yet sometimes we put our hands in our pockets, fold our arms and wonder, well, that's good. That's great. And yet it should be a, a motivation, all of us, to live in a way that, that he's teaching us to live and in a way that pleases him. This is what we're here for. This is what we do. But repentance is turning away from, from sin to God. So these, this new age that we're in, the age of the emerging antichrist spirit globally, not just here and there, globally. When they start passing laws to kill babies and men marrying men and women marrying women and exalting perversion in our society. I can, you trust me with this, and darkness is coming. It's beginning to descend, and a lot of people won't be able to see the light anymore. We're the only light and the only hope that they have of hearing the gospel. And then God directing us to these people that he's going to save. Because they're going to ask the question, Again, I said, so what's sin? And you got to be able to tell them what sin is. Sin is transgression against God. What's that? It's missing the mark. God said live this way, and we don't want to live this way. It's sin. That's why we're in the state that we're in. And to get rid of your sin, you have to repent. Repentance usually involves sorrow and grief of a person's heart. Because when a man's eyes, when a sinner's eyes are opened and he begins to see for the first time, only God can do this. 
When God opens a sinner's eyes or his mind and shows him his sinfulness, and he begins to see how really awful and criminal he is before God. Look at how little I care about God. He'll see that. Look how uninterested I am in divine things. Look at how much of God isn't even in my life. And I've been listening to it for how many years you've been listening to it. And look how easy it is for me to talk the way I talk and use the words I use. And I mean, have I even listened? You begin to see that. Never really bothered you before because, again, that good thing, that goodness. Well, I'm no worse than anybody else. You ever heard that? Well, I'm better than most people are. And most people are lost. So you're lost with them. That doesn't make you very smart. That makes you foolish. And so a person begins to see his sin. She begins to see her sin. And the awfulness of it. And like that guy we prayed with downtown there, the one that just wept. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He just wept and wept and wept. I mean, he prayed such a prayer. But here's what happens. When it happens and a person is one to Christ, there must be repentance. I heard a preacher say on a TV one time, a well-known preacher in the South, he said that you do not have to repent to be saved. He said, if you had to repent to be saved, then you must do something to be saved. And I'm thinking, you know, you're a much smarter man than I am, wiser man, all of that and more, but I don't think I get what you're saying. Are you saying that no response of any kind is required for us to be saved? None at all? Do we not have to receive Jesus? Do we have to open our mouth and confess our sin? No. Jesus saves and there's nothing you can add to it. You repent later. And I thought, I don't really think I believe that. Because I think a part of the plan, a part of the package here, the winning plan is that God exposes my sinfulness. That moment where I began to see my sin and godly sorrow, he said in verse 10, for godly sorrow worketh what? Repentance, a turning away from your sin. Godly sorrow works in you something that changes your life and changes your direction. You hate so much about what you've been doing, the way you've gone and what it's done on you that you just turn around and you turn away from it. That's what true repentance is. Now, you may feel bad about something you did. We call that pain of mind. When you've, oh, I'm sorry about what I did, but you go back and do it. You keep going back. You keep falling. You're up and down, like a yo, up and down, up and down. That's another word for repentance. But the biblical word for true repentance, metanoia, has to do with the mind, which is noia, noio, the mind, and a change of the mind. True repentance is not pain of mind, it's change of mind. Yes, I'm pained about my sins. I remember well, in spite of how many times I've told the story. On June the 30th, 1968, I remember kneeling up there behind a guy named Bob Morgan. I remember that. I remember crying because of how bad I had been and how weak, unresponsive, and awful I was. Because I'd go to church to put on a good show, then I'd hear things in church that just made me miserable. Oh, God, I want to get rid of all of that. And that day, he granted, it's a gift. It's a gift. It can only be given by God. True repentance is something that God gives. We're all sorry about stuff we've done, but only God can make us sorry for the way we've lived so that we don't want to live that way anymore. I'm through with the old life. I'm not perfect. Repentance doesn't mean you're perfect. The new birth doesn't mean you're perfect. You've got a perfect life on the inside of you, but you're not yet perfect. You're still going to wrestle and struggle, but you're a new creature. And old things are passed away and the mind has to be renewed and all those mental thoughts and avenues and ways you do things and consider things, all of that will have to change. 
New information has to challenge all of that. You've got to be willing to pull down those strongholds and change. That's part of the plan, part of the process. But repentance, nobody will ever be born again who doesn't repent. You've got to repent. There has to be sorrow, I think deep sorrow for your sins. I don't think repentance is just a formal thing where you go before God and say, <clears throat> I'm given to understand that I'm a sinner. And um, I like to change that, and I like to be a saint now. Okay? And I receive Jesus with thanksgiving. Thank you. Is that guy one? How do you know he's not? He's different than you. He's sure different from me. Because I had to keep wiping my nose. I mean, it was that kind of repentance. But some people just, you know, I recognize my sin and my sin before you, and I ask you to forgive me of everything I've ever done and take my life and change it. Make your home in me. Are they one? If that happened, they are. That's the beginning. See, we're Christian workers, all of us. We may not have done much of it, but we're Christian workers. In the sense of serving God, we're ministers, all of us. We have a mission. We have a divine purpose of existing on this earth. We're in here to learn one thing more than anything else, not only how to become holy in our lives, in our ways, but how do we can answer the questions and the ways of this world that are out there. We're being equipped now. This is part of the equipping process in order that we may go and minister. We study or we endeavor to show ourselves approved unto God as workmen who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word. That's why we study. That's why the church meetings are more of teaching than anything else. It's part of the equipping. You're what God has to win the lost. You're it. You're the ones who wins it. You're the ones that are being taught. You're the ones that are going to pray with them, lead them to the Lord. I'm not going to ask you how many of you in this room have never led anybody, you one-on-one -on -one with somebody else, no phone calls, just you and somebody else have ever won anybody in your life to Christ. See, it's a challenging question for all of us. And I can say for myself, just because you did it 20 years ago and, and, and did it a lot, doesn't mean you don't have to do it anymore. It's still current, isn't it? It sure is. It is still a current thing to do. But we must, we must repent. Turn to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 17 and verse 30. God has commanded, and the times of this ignorance, God winked at, or he overlooked. But now, because of Christ and because of the way of salvation being established, now God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Let me ask you a question. I don't want you to respond. But have you repented of your sins? Have you really been born again? Has God changed your life? Do you know you're changed? Are you absolutely different? Do you loathe and hate sinful things? It's part of the new nature. It's part of what God is doing. For God now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now, it's interesting when you look in the New Testament at what God's people did with this word repentance. When the disciples went out on the day of Pentecost, uh, the preaching of Jesus, the preaching of Paul. Will you follow me in your Bible Say, we will, Brother Hamilton. Thank you. Great. I want you to, Matthew 4 and verse 17. Jesus has been tempted 40 days and nights of the devil. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent. Notice first message. First message. He's been identified. He's been tempted. He comes out. And his first message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And look at chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 13. 
He said, go and learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice for I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. That's us. I'm come to call sinners to turn away from your sins. Let God show you the effect of sin in your life. How miserable we are and how it's made us and hate it and then realize that God who is showing you this, that your heart is being broken over it, is offering you repentance. It's words of your mouth saying, I am a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Remember the verse in Luke, God have mercy on me, a sinner? When you see it, that's, that's the natural thing to say. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. And so it says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, he said twice, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Except you repent. You can't join church and come forward. For example, in the church I grew up in, if you came forward in a church and you acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, and you let the preacher pray for you, you not only become a member of the church, of course, you got to be baptized, but after you said all of that and did all of that, you became a member of the church. I wasn't saved. I did that. I wasn't born again. I never really repented. I remember a year after I was saved, about a year, Bonnie and I were in church. It was a real good morning, good meeting. And at the hymn of invitation, which we had in the church right before we leave, a hymn for giving people a chance who wanted to respond, to respond, Bonnie went forward. And I thought, oh my goodness, what's this for? I mean, she was, got out of the pew and went forward. And I thought, uh, is there something I don't know here? I'm wondering, we're going to have a war over? Is what's, what's, what's this? And she went up and Brother Bartlett leaned over and they talked and he smiled. And what I thought, well, it couldn't be too bad because he's smiling. <laughs> I said, okay. And so he, you know, they're still singing. And then after he got through, he said, uh, Bonnie's come forward this morning. She wants to be baptized. She said, well, the Bible says repent and be baptized. And since she has repented, she has not been baptized. I thought, huh. Well, that, after that, the half church got baptized. Well, same thing with me. I had, I had repented. I had grievously vexed myself over my sins. I, oh, but I had never followed it up with baptism. I didn't know. I'd read it. I'd heard it, but it never was anything that stuck. So we went out to the lake, out to Big Lake. Went out there and got baptized again. I've been baptized a bunch of times. Four times I can think of. And so we did that. But repentance precedes everything. Except we repent, we're going to perish. You can get baptized all you want to. Water will never wash away a non-repentant heart. Are you with me? There's not enough water in the world to wash away your sins if you have not repented. There has to be repentance first. John the Baptist said in John chapter 3, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His first message first message of Jesus, the first message of John, the disciples. In Mark chapter 6, the Bible says, and they went out and preached that all men everywhere should repent. Their message, that's the first message. They're going to a lost world. You can't teach the deeper life principles to sinners, can you? About all you can do with sinful people is make them comfortable and give them some religious pleasantries. That'll make them happy. They're still lost they're going to die in their sins, but as far as they're concerned, they're now good enough to make it to heaven. Churches are full of this. I remember a preacher that most of you have heard of told me years ago that the first church that he pastored, he told me, he said, you know, I was there long enough to know that none of them were saved. They, had, they were so indifferent to Scripture and they were so indifferent to God. It was just a little social hour, you know, it was their church. I started preaching about salvation, he said. And one of the deacons came up and said, you know, brother so-and-so, you act like we're not saved. 
And so then he began asking questions. Are you saved? He said, finally, a bunch of them came and asked the Lord to save them. Church I grew up in on that Sunday morning, I came to the Lord, I bet you 50 or 100 people came up. We all realized that we were just church people, religious people. We accepted that. That's, what, that's the way you do it. Repent of what? One day some of us saw my sin. Oh, God. I don't care what I've ever done, how heartily I've ever done it. I can't get rid of these sins. I am lost. And then the message came. And through brokenness and sorrow of heart, deep contrition, came repentance. Oh, God. I'm sorry. Have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinner. And it's just the way it works because this is what opens the door to a relationship with God. Look at the day of Pentecost. Turn to Acts chapter 3. On the day of Pentecost, when all those people came to the Lord, 5,000 of them, Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Now, when they heard this, this is what we do is use words. And when they heard that, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and unto the rest of their brethren, men and brethren, what shall we do? You know why they said that? You know why they said that? Because their heart condemned their lifestyle. They knew they were wrong because the words they heard, God caused those words to become personal and they were exposed. They didn't want to be like this. They knew where they were. They knew now they were lost. There's no question. They said, man and brother, what are we going to do? What was the solution to what they needed to do? The next verse, 38. Then Peter said unto them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repent and be baptized. You will go nowhere in a Christian life. You have All you can have is religion. You cannot have Christ unless you repent. We must inform lost people that except you repent, Except you make a decision. Nobody can make it for you. You turn away from your sins, you will perish. You cannot make it. Look in chapter 3 of Acts and verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out that the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Notice the sequence here. First, repent. See your sin. Hate it. Make a decision to turn from it. Actually, the word converted means to turn around. You, repent is to, is to change the mind, and convert is really to change one's direction. It's not a hard word to figure out, but they go together. He said, repent and be converted, and then you can have a relationship with God that you've never had which was described as the times of refreshing, a time of a changed life, a clean life. Things become new, living in a way you've never thought you could live. Suddenly it's like heaven came down and something touched your heart. Oh, you still wrestle. I know all the other things we wrestle with, but this never leaves. Repent, he said, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out and the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And what did Apostle Paul do? What was the message of Jesus to the Apostle Paul? Look in chapter 22 of Acts. Acts chapter 22 and verse 14. This is when Paul was knocked down on the road to Damascus. Remember, and the light shone from heaven and he heard a voice. And he was blinded, and God sent a man named Ananias to him to lay his hands on him that he might be healed. Why? Well, verse 12, and one Ananias came to him in verse 13, and he said, receive your sight, and he did. And then Ananias said this to him, verse 14, the God of our fathers, notice, 
Read this carefully. The God of our fathers hath chosen thee. It was his his idea that you should know his will. Now, that's a sermon for you preachers. God has chosen you that you should know his will. That's why your mind is renewed. That same reason. God has chosen you that you should know his will and see have revealed to you who Christ is and you should hear the voice of his mouth. Verse 15, for you shall be his witness. Now look at chapter 26 where he gave his testimony before Agrippa. In chapter 26, verse 16, Paul talking about the same experience. He said, who art thou, Lord? In verse 15, he said, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. And Jesus said this to him, not Ananias, but Jesus. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. This is what I'm doing this for, to make you a minister. That's actually like a servant or one who serves. To make you a minister and a witness not only the things which you have seen, but of those things of which I will appear unto you. I'll deliver you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I now send thee, but this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do, and we'll do the same thing. Verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. If we don't, let me ask you a question. If we don't do this, who will? It's not the preacher's job to do this on the behalf of the church because you cannot hire anybody to do this for you. It's personal. It's individual. Yes, this is to the apostle Paul, but it's seen in the Bible. This is what we all do, to open their eyes. That is, with words, you're going to have to answer some questions and to make your case clear and to turn them from darkness to light. Maybe that means to compel them to come in. And from the power or the authority of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among all those that are sanctified. Forgiveness. Think of it. I've called you, Paul. I want you to go out there and I want you to turn these people from Satan unto God. I want you to open their eyes to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God because they've been under the rule of Satan their whole life. They're all corrupted. The Bible says that. They've been mastered by the devil. You tell them that. You explain to them why that works like that. Tell them it's because God made us all equal when he gave us all a will, a power of choice. And we simply chose not to do what God said and the devil made his bidding for us right there. We all did it. All we like sheep have gone astray, the whole bunch of us. Now you tell them that and you explain to them what God's solution is for that. You turn them from darkness unto light. You be persuasive. Put your heart and soul into it. You pray about it, that you may be able to turn them from darkness unto light and from the power of Satan to the power of God so that, look at it, so that they might receive forgiveness. Let me tell you something again. If you don't turn or convert, then you're not forgiven. If you don't repent, you won't turn. Tell them that. Explain that to them. Tell them why it's so hard to do what is right because of the hold the devil has on us and on the world. Tell them that. Explain that to them. Take them step by step through the plan of salvation. We'll give you that before this series is over. Do that. Because somebody out there is going to cause the angels of heaven to rejoice. Somebody outside of these walls that you don't even know yet about Somebody's going to hear you tell a story and you're going to notice a strange unction from God. Man, your words are just coming out of your mouth and you, you've lost your fear and you just sort of stand there and you start challenging that sinful way. And God's going to use you and somebody's going to begin weeping and you're going to go, oh, why are you crying? No, you're going to begin weeping and you're going to lead them in a prayer of salvation. Are they one at that point? Maybe. 
That's how I started. They might be. But you're going to keep after them. You're going to talk to them and lead them, talk, bring them to church, answer their questions. You might even want to organize in your home a little Bible study. Not to preach anything you want, but to share the plan of salvation and the life of Christ and the Christian responsibility to God. They don't know that. We tell them that. You see, we want to win these people to Christ. We want to catch men and keep them caught and turn them from the power of Satan to the power of God. We're not done. We'll get on to this again next week. You all are workmen. Did you know that? Soldiers of the cross. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, bless your word to your people. Let them believe what you've said in your word. Give them that grace, that measure of grace tonight. I pray that things will be lodged in these people's hearts tonight that will never be dislodged. That you'll never leave us alone about our responsibility as gospel workers. Grant us, grant us success in this life in serving you. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.